0: Hey everybody, this is Cale Clark. Welcome back to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio apps. our brand new series, St. Paul's Letter to the Romans, Can You Handle the Truth? Yep, I'm channeling Colonel Nathan Jessup there. Maybe my favorite movie of all time, A Few Good Men. It's definitely in my top three. But I'll tell you what, St. Paul drops a a lot of truth uh, on the world in the Letter to the Romans. It's a huge truth bomb. We need to take it apart. And and in the last episode, I kind of tried to introduce the letter to you. A lot of people are scared to read Romans. A lot of people find it uh, hmm, something that induces a lot of trepidation. And it is, is, like I said, like climbing Mount Everest. Um, It's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. But the rewards are well worth it. And the views are spectacular. So we're going to do it together. We're going to unpack it. We're going to unwind it. We're going to make it easy to understand hopefully for you and for me. I need need it to be clear for myself too. So we're in this together. Now, last time we we talked about how Paul probably wrote this letter in the year 57 AD. So once again, why is Paul writing to the Romans? Why is is this so important to him? Not only to write to them, to write to Rome, but to go to Rome. It's easy to see why. St. Paul kind of breaks his own rule, you know, kind of like the The Joker said to Batman of the Dark Knight, I'm going to make you break your one rule. Well, his one rule was, I'm not going to build the gospel. I'm not going to plant a new church. I'm not going to preach where Christ is already known. He didn't want to build on another man's foundation. He talks about that in Romans chapter 15. So why does he want to do this now? Why does he want to go where the church is already established? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. Rome is the city in the ancient world, the capital of the Roman Empire. The influence that this city had on the world was unparalleled. And just just like today, cities like New York, Los Angeles, people go there to chase their dreams. You will find uh, business commercial centers, cultural centers there. Everybody's out there. They want to be where the action is. And so the same was true for Rome. And if if Paul could get the gospel planted firmly in Rome and and build the faith of the community in Rome, it was going to resound, it was going to resonate throughout the entire world. And part of the reason for that, by the way, was the great Roman road system. Now, mind you, we're not talking about modern superhighways or bullet trains like you see in Japan or anything like that. But it, for its time, it was revolutionary, connecting the entire empire. And there was a constant flow of information from Rome to everywhere. And the Jewish community took, took advantage of this. In fact, uh, in the Acts of the Apostles, Paul is, somebody's talking to Paul, and, and they're basically saying, hey, we, we've been hearing stuff from Judea about you. How is this information getting to them? Well, it, it's through the, the Roman system of, of roads and, and people— information can pass and so anything coming out of Rome is going to is going to get disseminated and so Paul's really uh, concerned about that and again like we said in the beginning in the last episode the church in Rome started out mostly as a Jewish church but then Gentiles were brought in as well and this was part of the tension in the letter this is part of the one of the big themes in St. Paul's letter to the Romans he's trying to deal with this now there were Jewish settlers in Rome, going back to the second century BC. So, by the time Paul is writing again in the fifties, maybe fifty-seven AD, there, there's been a presence there in Rome for two and a half centuries. How many Jews were there in Rome? Probably about fifty thousand, according to some scholars. How did they get there? Well. When the Romans took over different parts of the world, they're expanding their empire, they would subjugate the peoples that were living there. Uh, very often they would enslave people and carry them off into captivity. And a, a lot of Jews were brought into Rome initially as slaves. They were they were able to gain their freedom. You could do that in the Roman Empire. And so the Jews that were living there in Paul's time were probably could trace their ancestry back to former slaves. And as you know, In the Roman Empire, the Jews were allowed to practice their faith pretty much unhindered unless unless they were trying to rebel against their Roman overlords when there was an insurrection. And this happened from time to time. There were false messiahs. Jesus of Nazareth is the real messiah or the real McCoy, but there were many other false claimants to the title of messiah. And even in the Acts of the Apostles, Gamaliel, St. Paul's teacher, uh, when he was training as a rabbi, the famous Gamaliel talks about this. There's this guy named Thutis who had a bunch of followers. Uh, he got killed. There was a guy known as the Egyptian, only as the Egyptian. He also claimed to be the Messiah. Same thing happened to him. They would try to lead these little rebellions. They, they tried to lead military campaigns, if you will, to try to reclaim the Holy Land. It never worked. They all got killed. Their followers got dispersed. And nothing ever came of it. So Gamaliel says the same. And the whole debate is about what to do with the Christians, those who believe in Jesus as Messiah. He's like, look, this isn't from God. It's going to fizzle out. Don't worry about it. Uh, So wise words. He he basically says, leave them alone. Don't persecute them. Because Peter and Paul were beaten, imprisoned, along with uh, the other early believers. So he was kind of a voice of reason. And he was also the teacher of St. Paul. Now, during times of war and insurrection, like the great Jewish war with Rome from 66 to 70 AD, which culminated in the destruction of Jerusalem, its temple, it was just a disaster of cosmic proportions. And I mean that quite literally because for the Jews, the temple was a miniature model of the universe. When it was destroyed, it was like the universe itself came tumbling down, the end of the world as we know it. And so Jesus prophesied that this would happen, Uh, He was quite upset about this, and he he even shed tears about the coming fate of Jerusalem that he could foresee. And part of this has to do with his rejection as the Messiah. Uh, That's another uh, topic for another day. We talked about this a lot in our Revelation series on The Faith Explained, which really gets into that in great detail. But um, during times of peace, uh, the Romans would let the Jews practice their religion uninhindered. And in fact, they even had special legal protections and exemptions. They didn't have to serve in the military like any other, uh, like a male living in the Roman, a Roman citizen would have to do uh, growing up. They'd have to do some military service. They could worship in peace. They could even collect their own tax, the famous temple tax. And you know, the episode in the gospel, of course, where uh, Peter is asked by some, uh, Uh, Some of his co-religionists, hey, does your teacher Jesus pay the temple tax? And this is something that every Jew had to do for the upkeep of the temple. And he's like, yeah, he does, but he really doesn't know for sure. He's just kind of speculating, and he goes back into the house, and Jesus, with his supernatural knowledge, as soon as he walks in, he says, Peter, what what do you think? Do the sons of the kingdom, do they have to pay taxes? If you're the son of a king, do you need to pay tax, or is it just the subjects of the kingdom? He's like, well, it's usually just the citizens. And he's like, you're right. You're right. You're kind of part of the royal family of God here, the kingdom, but so that we don't give offense to the people, here's what you need to do. You need to go down to the water, throw out your line, catch a fish. You're good at this. You're a great fisherman. And when you pull up a fish, open its mouth, you will find a coin that will pay the tax for you and for me. It's a great miracle story from the Gospels. One of my favorites. And so they were allowed to do this. They were allowed to collect this special temple tax. And so there was a big, big thriving jewish community in rome and in fact archaeologists have found about they think there are about 12 different synagogues in rome and also there's some stuff going on in the catacombs as well according to scott Hahn. so big big jewish community on the west bank of the tiber river in the first century so as you know, we, we mentioned this in, in, briefly in passing in the last episode. How did the how did the Roman Christians the, the the Church at Rome wasn't literally founded by Peter and Paul, although writers like Irenaeus talk about this. Now they were the the two great apostles, of course, associated with the Roman Church. They were both martyred there, but they didn't start the church there. The church got started because that first Pentecost, when Peter is preaching in Acts chapter two, there are Jews and also God fearing people who were. Gentiles who were not Jewish, but they really did believe in the God of Israel. They were kind of hanging out too uh, for the Passover festival, or excuse me, for the Pentecost festival uh, in Jerusalem. Peter is preaching, and they come to believe in Jesus as Messiah. Then they go back to Rome, and that's kind of how the church gets started in the synagogue. So it's really, really important uh, that you know this. But of course, eventually Peter and Paul both get there, they, they are martyred there. The, the point of all of this is to say the church is up and running already in Rome and has been for some time when Paul writes to them his letter to the Romans. In fact, he, he says in chapter 15, verse 23, he says, I have longed for many years to come to you. He's, their, their fame precedes them. And, and and they're important because of where they are, too, in Rome. He says at the beginning in chapter 1, verse 8, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So the Roman church had some renown. People knew about it. Now, what did the church actually look like in terms of the makeup of the, of the people, uh, socioeconomically? Uh, here's really what it was all about. There, there were some, I would say, <laughs> one percenters that were part of the congregation there, part of the church there, some affluent people, but most of the congregation, according to Hahn, was you know, probably middle class, but also some, um, some uh, I guess you could say, some, some people from the lower socioeconomic classes as well, manual laborers, former slaves, people who were still slaves. And, and again, slavery in the Roman Empire was, was, a not, it was a different deal than what was going on in the American South, let's say. Slavery took many forms. Some of them were horrible, and some of them weren't as bad. It was almost like working at a job, if you will. And so some had gained their freedom, some had not yet. So it's a mixed bag. It's definitely a mixed congregation. And it was also mixed in terms of Jew and Gentile as well. You're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm your host, Cale Clark. This is our new series on Romans. Can you handle the truth? And so this is really, really important to understand this. The church, and the word church, by the way, uh, is the, the Greek word for church in the New Testament. It's ecclesia. It means the called out ones. So the church in Rome was made up of Jews who were called out of the synagogue, Jews who had come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and also Greeks, that is to say Gentiles, called out of the world, so to speak, into the church as well. So it was a mixed congregation of Jews and Gentiles who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And no doubt... Uh, The Jewish uh, makeup of of the church was pretty big at the time. That changed, though. That changed. And by the time Paul is writing, uh, the Jewish Christians were a minority. And and this this caused uh, a few problems in the church that Paul has to deal with in Romans. And he's going to write about this in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Some of the Gentiles kind of had this attitude of superiority uh, over their Jewish brethren, thinking, well, you know... Israel has rejected, uh, you know, not all the Israelites, but any stretch of the imagination, but, but maybe the majority of, of Israelites don't, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they're kind of feeling smug about, about their new position uh, in the church. And Paul's saying, you, you guys got to be really careful here, because don't forget, Israel was the tree planted by God himself. They are his chosen people. Gentiles are grafted onto that tree, just like you you can do this in gardening. I have no idea how to do this. I do not have a green thumb, but you can graft a branch from one tree onto a different tree. And he said, look, God has essentially grafted you Gentiles into this tree of the people of God, but you can just as easily be cut off. So don't let your pride get the best of you. You should be humble. And God has a plan for the Israelites as well. That does not go away. He doesn't ever revoke uh, his gifts and promises so we'll, we'll talk about this as we go along in the letter but one of the reasons why there's a lot of tension in, in the church at rome was because of something called the edict of claudius now what in the world was that well about the year 49 a.d the emperor claudius kicked all the jews out of rome even the ones that believed in jesus even the i guess you could say the messianic jews or the hebrew catholics he kicked them all out, whether they believed in Jesus or not. Why? Well, according to the Roman historian Suetonius, who's an interesting source about uh, early Christianity, he does say a couple things. He's not a Christian, doesn't believe in it, but he wrote about uh, this in his Life of Claudius. He talked about the edict of Emperor Claudius, who got so ticked off because there were all these fights that were happening, in the synagogues, and I don't know, it was kind of like the Royal Rumble, chairs were thrown, people were jumping off the top rope. It was a mess. Uh, It was a public nuisance to him. What were the fights all about? The fights were all about this guy named Crestus. Crestus. Now, who is Crestus? C-H-R-E-S-T-U-S. Well, Crestus is just a different way to spell Christus or Christ. So, the Emperor probably thought it was some guy, some dude he has no idea who this is. he doesn't really get their faith he doesn't understand it. but what he doesn't like is the fact that there's there are public uh, brawls happening almost, um, a lot of dissension, a lot of trouble. so he just said, "I'm tired of this. I'm kicking all of you out of Rome." So he kicks the entire Jewish community out of Rome and they have to disperse and go all over the place and this is why Saint Paul met priscilla and aquila and he talks about them by the way he talked at the end of the letter to the romans there's this long list of people that paul was greeting oh say hi to these people for me this guy that guy say hi to priscilla and aquila well guess what they were from rome they had become believers in jesus they got kicked out and so they had to go to corinth and that's when they ran into saint paul and paul and and priscilla and aquila worked together as paul is building up the church in corinth And they were tent makers by trade. That was their job, their profession. So was Paul. So they worked together. They hung out. They became very, very good friends. That's how they got there. So it kind of helped Paul in the end that they got kicked out of Rome. But uh, at the end of the day, the Edict of Claudius happened in AD 49. So for a while, the church in Rome was all Gentile Catholics. Uh, None of the Jews were there. So that created a, a bit of a different dynamic. Uh, the the Gentiles became leaders in the church. Well, just a couple years before Paul wrote the letter to the Romans in 54 AD, the, the Claudius died, the emperor. So everybody got to come back home. And so all the Jews came back to Rome who wanted to come back. Some of them were members of the church, believers in Jesus. But they didn't exactly get a warm reception. Some of the Gentiles were like, we don't really, you know, who, who do you guys think you are? You've been gone for a while. We've, we've kind of taken over now. And it, it, it really led to a lot of tension because now the, the Jewish Christians were a minority. So this, this is part of the backdrop uh, for the, the letter to the Romans. And um, that's one of the reasons why Paul wrote this letter. OK, so why is Paul writing this right now? Well, he wants to deal with some of these problems, number one. He also, like I said before, he is going to go there. He's sort of introducing himself. Please allow me to introduce myself, like the Rolling Stones saying about. Although he kind of needs no introduction, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. As scripture notes, Peter was, you know, Peter went to the, actually Peter was the first to go to the Gentiles. We see this in the Acts of the Apostles. But primarily Peter was focusing on his fellow Jews, trying to get them to know about Jesus. Paul did too, but he also knows that he is the apostle to the Gentiles, as we see in chapter 11 verse 13 what better place to go to than the very heart of the gentile world and, and this very impressive but slowly dying empire of rome and, and to get there and, and to to sow the seeds of the gospel there and then of course as we said also he wants to get their support financial and otherwise prayer support air support if you will because he wants to eventually go to spain rome is not enough you know he, he the world is not enough right it's like james bond he wants to go to Spain. He wants to go to the West. Go West, young man. He wants to go to Spain. It's a new horizon for the gospel. And then also, he wants to deal with some of these issues—the problems between the Jews and Gentiles fighting with each other in the church—and um, yeah, kind of just be a good pastor to them and, and get get them all straight. So, in, in the heart of all that, though, Paul has a lot of teaching time to talk about what Romans is really all about. It's about sin. And salvation, I guess you could say it's the gospel according to Paul. There's so much richness there, and we're going to explore it together. In the next episode, we're going to dive into chapter one of the letter to the Romans. But I wanted to to just spend a couple episodes introducing the letter to you, uh, so that we can kind of have that in the back of our minds as we're going forward. So read Romans, uh, check it out. If you don't understand it all, don't worry. It's pretty clear in the beginning uh, what he's talking about there. And uh, he's going to kind of paint a bleak picture of sin in the world until he gives us the good news about the Savior who sets us free, Jesus Christ. I'm Cale Clark. This is the Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. Don't go away now, because we're about to open up the Faith Explained Q&A mailbag. Let's go. Okay, this is always one of my favorite parts of the show, the Q&A mailbag segment. If you want to send in your question to me, I'll try to answer it. I'll try to get it read on the air. You can email me. The address is faith at relevant F A I T H at relevant radio.com. You can also try getting your question to me via Twitter slash X, and you can find me there at Kale Clark. That's my handle, at C A L E Clark with an E. And today's question comes via email, and it comes to me from Tom, a uh, great uh, fan of the programs, all the shows on relevant radio. And uh, Tom Sosinski says, Hi, Kale. I heard Brooke Taylor guest host your evening show. She does very, very well. I agree with you. Uh, Brooke Taylor subs in for me when I uh, can't be there. Time off or whatever the case may be for the Kale Clark show live at 5 p.m. Central here on relevant radio. And Brooke does always a fabulous job. I agree with you, Tom. He continues on with his email. Now, to my point, I will try to be as concise as possible. Why would a verse be missing in the Bible. Now, this is really intriguing. I'm just going to interject here because Tom is saying that there might be a verse about Mary missing from the Old Testament. This is this, let's just follow what he says here. Uh, back to Tom's email. He says, Cale, uh, from no less than the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, here is from their website, the book of Sirach." Chapter twenty-four, verse twenty-four is missing. It's missing. Now, by the way, let me just um, interject here. What is the Book of Sirach? Uh, that's an Old Testament book, and uh, it goes by another name, the Wisdom of Ben Sirach, or the Wisdom of Ben Sirah. It's also known as that. Sirah Sirach, same thing. Ecclesiasticus is another name for this book. Uh, it was originally written in Hebrew. It's a book of wisdom and ethics, probably written somewhere around 200 B.C., 175 B.C., maybe. And uh, Ben Sirah, by the way, uh, that means he's the son of Sirach, Ben Sirach. Um, he kind of writes down all this stuff, and it, it, he's writing down a lot of the teachings and inspirations from his dad, Joshua. So, all right, that, that's what it's all about. It's a really, really good book. It's, I, I love the book of Sirach. Uh, it is not uh, counted as scripture by non-Catholic Christians. Uh, I believe it is by the Orthodox, but not by Protestants. Uh, But it is one of the um, deuterocanonical books uh, in the Catholic Church, which means the second canon. All right, so just a little background on on that. So Tom is saying that there is a verse missing from the book of Sirach, at least on the uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops website. And not just there, by the way, in some Catholic Bibles, it's also missing. You see verse 22, you see verse 23, 24 is missing, and then there's 25. What, what's going on here? And by the way, chapter 24 is a really, really good verse. Um, it, it's, it, let me tell, you say, well, it's missing. How do I know, how do I know what it is? Uh, Tom says it is in another Catholic translation of the Bible, the Douay Rhymes Bible. You might have heard of the Douay Rhymes Bible. I'll get into this another time. That's an interesting story too. But here's um, the missing verse that is there. Sirach 24, verse 24 in the Douay Rhymes Bible. Here's what it says. I am the mother of fair love and of fear and of knowledge and of holy hope. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, you might know that sometimes this is used to describe Our Lady. Uh, almost a prophecy about Our Lady, if you will. I am the mother of fair love and of fear and of knowledge and of holy hope. That's Serac 2424 in the Douay Rhymes version, the the translation that was made in English from the Latin Vulgate. All right, we'll get into this another time. But it's not in some of the other English Catholic Bible translations. Why is that? Was it taken out? This is essentially what uh, Tom is wondering here. And he talks about a, a book called The Imitation of Mary by Alexander de Ruville. Uh, it mentions this verse, and um, Mary is the mother of pure love. And, and he says, I wonder if there's other verses omitted in some Bibles. This is the first time I've seen a verse totally disappear. Is there any reason for this? Thank you for all you do, and may the Lord bless you and your loved ones. Tom Szinski. Thank you very much, Tom. I really appreciate that. And he says, oh, P.S., I just checked out my New Jerusalem Bible. It's not in there either. Okay, so what, what's the answer? Is is this verse just you know grow wings and fly away? Did somebody take it out? Did somebody delete it for some reason? Um, maybe somebody who knows that Catholics use this to refer to Mary sometimes uh, and they didn't want it to be in there. No, that's that's not the reason. The reason it's actually much more mundane than that. Um, we we have to remember that although sacred scripture is inspired, the scribes who copied the scriptures. Uh, They sometimes made a couple little human mistakes here and there. So when scribes were copying the Bible, making manuscript copies of the biblical books, when they began inserting verses into the text, don't, don't forget the verses, chapter and verses, were not part of the original documents. It was just one continuous stream of text. Monks, scribes, as they were copying the books, they wanted to make it easy for people to read. So they started adding chapter and verse, just to break up the text a little bit. But sometimes they weren't consistent when they did that. Uh, maybe they weren't paying attention, or they, they just decided to arrange it a little bit differently. So this, this verse, I am the mother of fair love and of fear and of knowledge and of holy hope. And by the way, this whole chapter is about wisdom and, and uh, Our Lady being the seed of wisdom, uh, Jesus being, of course, the divine wisdom of God personified kind of ties in here i am the mother of fair love and of fear and of knowledge and of holy hope now in the douay rhymes translation it's Sirach chapter 24 verse 24 but it is missing from some of the other catholic bible translations like the one you were looking at on the u.s catholic bishops website but it is it's still there they just moved it somewhere else that's why you didn't notice it so in these other English translations of the Bible, it actually appears as Sirach chapter 24, verse 18. So let me just give you one example. This is from the New Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition. And it has it as verse 18. I am the mother of beautiful love, of fear, of knowledge, and of holy hope. Being eternal, I am given to all my children, to those who are named by him. So again, it's it's a slightly different translation in English, but it is there. It's just moved to another place. And it actually, if you look at the um, U.S. Bishop's website, when they do have that book on their website, they have all the biblical books on their website, there's a little footnote at the bottom that, that talks about this a little bit. So I know it's confusing. I know it's really confusing, but it is there, Tom. It, it just got moved. It's an issue of the scribes, the the, the different variations between the English translations. But the verse is there, and it's a really good verse, and I think it's great spiritual reading. Uh, if we can read the book of Sirach, there's a lot there, and maybe I'll do a whole series on that, on The Faith Explained. You just gave me a good idea, Tom. Appreciate that. Hey, if you have a question for me, you can send it to me. Again, the email is faith@relevantradio.com. you can find me on Twitter, at Kale Clark. Catch you in the next episode, and later today, live on The Kale Clark Show, 5 p.m. Central, only here on Relevant Radio.